welcome to Her, the Health Equity and Reflection Podcast, an AMWA and C. Carter Fellowship production, where we hope to inform and uplift female changemakers in global health. This is a production of the Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellows. All views and opinions are those of the individuals and not AMWA itself. Thank you for tuning in to this fellow feature episode of HER, the Health, Equity, and Reflection podcast. In this episode, you'll get to know an Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellow, their background, experiences, and passions in global health. For more information on the Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellowship, visit carterfellows.wordpress.com. Hi, everyone. This is Alexis, current ANC Carter Fellowship Chair. Welcome to this fellow feature episode where you get to hear from one of our amazing AMWA or AMWA ANC Carter Global Health Fellows. Today on the show, it's my honor to be introducing Emily Evangelista. Emily is one of our new members to the ACC Fellowship Program in the uh, junior cohort. She's joining us as a second year medical student from the University of South Florida. Emily, thanks for joining today. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be on with you, Alexis. So if you've listened to any of our prior episodes, you know that this is a special one to be featuring Emily today because this podcast is her brainchild. She is a podcast girl like me and noticed that there was this large gap in conversations for pre-med or med students or training levels um, for women who are interested in global health. So because of her hard work, we're here today chatting. So it's an honor to get to hear more about her today. Emily, welcome to the fellowship and to the podcast. To start us off, can you give us a short introduction about maybe who you are, how you got to where you are, and why you applied to the ANSI Carter Fellowship? Of course. Currently, I am a medical student in the class of 2025 at the University of South Florida's Morsani College of Medicine in my hometown of Tampa, Florida. I chose to pursue a focus in health disparities as a scholarly concentration throughout medical school. And in a few years, I hope to apply to match into an ENT residency program. I serve as the wellness chair of the class of 2025, president of the Medical Student Wellness Council, president of the Women in Surgery and ENT interest groups, and am a board member of the Global Surgery Student Alliance. Having female mentorship was something really, really important to me when I started medical school as someone pursuing a surgical subspecialty. And last year, I was lucky enough to hear Dr. Julia Toman, a facial plastics and reconstructive surgeon here at USF, speak about the global outreach that she has conducted for the past 10 years in her field. And shortly thereafter, I was able to shadow her and start some research with her. And then she became a really influential mentor in my life. Before then, I hadn't had much exposure to international medicine or to global health. But Dr. Toman somehow trusted me enough to come with her to conduct some research this past summer in Durban, South Africa. This was funded by a research grant from the Global Emerging Diseases Institute at Tampa General Hospital and the USF Health's RISE Summer Scholarly Award experience. During this adventure, I was able to assist my new colleagues at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, the Nelson Mandela School of Medicine, 
researching health disparities contributing to the high burden of juvenile onset recurrent respiratory papillomatosis, which is also called JORP, um, in the region, as well as finding some new avenues for research in ENT and a variety of other global health topics, such as COVID-19 and chronic sinusitis and complicated sinusitis, as well as complete laryngectomy and quality of life um, and lymph node status related to that. And this experience really sparked a really, really strong, deep love for global surgery and for building impassioned and collaborative, sustainable medical partnerships. After my master's in biotechnology, I also found myself very interested in medical advancement implementation and bringing new products to market, specifically to the clinical market. And I do some additional research with the voicecollab.ai Autolaryngology Collaborative, an NIH-funded project analyzing voice as a biomarker of health. I would love during this fellowship to find a way to combine my love for innovation, technology, ENT, and global health equity together and build that into my pursuits in global health. During my master's, I took some courses on leadership and innovation implementation, and that kind of guides my endeavors in this capacity and then fuels my desires to ensure global equity in these tech-heavy arenas, typically reserved for higher-income patients. Wow. Just been a little busy, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> so what are some of the lessons you've learned by working through so many of these like very, very different experiences? Yeah. So the last thing I did before I started medical school was drive down here to Florida from Boston with my Great Dane Bandit in the back seat, and we listened to an audiobook of Dr. Atul Gawande's Better, A Surgeon's Note on Performance, and the narratives in this book are really great examples of the Hippocratic Oath's principles, and I definitely recommend it if you haven't read it yet. But Dr. Gawande calls the protagonists of his stories positive deviants of medicine and outlines five rules on how to become one, which I've since been trying to let guide my decisions in my career. And those five rules are, one, ask an unscripted question, two, don't complain, three, count something, four, write something, and five, change. And I really try to implement these into my life daily. There's a little post-it note on my mirror with these five rules on them. And then after that trip to South Africa that I mentioned earlier, I added a sixth rule, which was to be present. I think the biggest lesson that I learned in South Africa was to be a sponge, make yourself very present, be humble, and be extremely intentional about soaking up all that you can. I think that lessons and learning can come in the most unexpected moments in those sort of experiences and from the most unexpected sources. A lot of global health progress is made in clinics and in the research labs and bent over a patient or sitting at a computer. But some of my favorite and some of the most memorable moments for me came from time spent at a dinner table or on a hike or in between patients. Especially as a medical student, you're never going to have all the answers or know exactly what to do in every scenario, but you can always learn. I kept a Google Doc that I titled, Write Something, you know, the rule number four, that I added to every day when I got home from whatever adventure I had had earlier. And the most wonderful the most wonderful part of international medicine is the far-reaching community that's formed in the process. And I learned more in six weeks from those people that I met and still keep in contact with than I ever could have dreamed of just by keeping my mind and my heart open to the experience and just being present. Wow, that's amazing. I have not read better. Um, and it's definitely on my list now. I love those. Um, so you've talked about um, mentoring global health. Um, is, is that someone you want to highlight as a, a global health public figure that who's guided or inspired you in these endeavors? Uh, Dr. Toman? 
Definitely. She, she's a phenomenal mentor. She's a facial plastics and reconstructive surgeon. She has her master's in public health and is an assistant professor in the facial plastics division here at USF's ENT department. She began her global health career while she was in her residency at Yale, and she's helped to build this partnership in Durban, South Africa, focused on supporting educational exchange of ENT trainees and research development. I think something that's really special about Dr. Toman is her ability to stretch the impact of a single surgeon to that of many through her mentorship. I mentioned previously my appreciation for the strong female mentors and leaders, and her enthusiasm and commitment to kind and sustained mentorship is absolutely unmatched. I've learned from her not only like how to suture and the tricks of the surgical trade, but also importance of being a self-starter and taking initiative and ownership of things that you're passionate about. I've learned some of the foundational pillars of building a global partnership while watching her do just that. She has always told me that there are three keys to this sort of endeavor, creating something that is one, sustainable, two, affordable, and three, scalable. And as I plan my fellowship project and think about what I would like to achieve in global health, I will unconditionally apply these principles from the start without the push from Dr. Toman to get out of my comfort zone and accompany to her to Durban, I'm not sure I would have found such a strong passion for global health. She sounds amazing. Very inspiring. We'll have to see if we can get her on the show sometime. Um, okay. Well, if you had one last thing that you'd like to say to the listeners to get them passionate about global health as well, um, what would you say to them? I think what drives me to keep pursuing global health in the future is a quote by Dr. Paul Farmer. It's from his book, To Repair the World, another great one. It reads, with rare exception, all of your most important achievements on this planet will come from working with others, or in a word, partnership. The only legacy we really leave in medicine is the people we touch along the way and how we shape the future, not only of the medical field, but of the world, really. Because again, the people, the communities, and the collaborations, that's what really matters. And every day, the world gets more and more interconnected. And to get to take care of people simply because we can from wherever they may be and to build stable partnerships to continue to do so is really about facilitating hope. Dr. Farmer often referred to many of today's problems of inequity as failures of imagination. I think that he's spot on because if we really get down to it, the more people that buy into partnerships that care about helping people, then the more we could achieve together. That's so great. I... I really enjoy reading Paul Farm about Paul Farmer's work as well. Um, thank you so much, Emily. I'm really glad that we got to learn a little bit more about you and feature you today. Um, I look forward to seeing all the amazing things you accomplish, both um, in your time as a fellow and in your medical career. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And listeners, um, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. This is Alexis, outgoing AMWA Global Health Chair and previous ANSI Carter Global Health Fellow. Today on the show, it's my honor to be recording from Eldoret, Kenya, and to have some very special guests on our bonus fireside chat episode. This team is full of impressive women who are working every day to improve healthcare access for patients here in Kenya. I'm joined by Linda, Celestine, and Emily, who are staff at the Kaposi Sarcoma Center for Excellence at Moy Teaching and Referral Hospital. I'll let you guys say a quick hello. Can you say hello? Hello. Hi. hello. 
Hello. For those who may need a quick refresher, Kaposi sarcoma is a vascular tumor associated with an infection with the human herpes virus, or HHV-8. In most healthy adults, there's great control of the virus if it's present, and they're largely unaffected. But in people with HIV or those with lower immunity, the virus can proliferate and cause really debilitating skin, oral, and visceral organ involvement. So, and actually, there's a 500 times greater risk for developing this cancer in people with HIV. So here in Kenya, Kaposi sarcoma is very common, um, and the one-year mortality rate is 20 to 35%. So this team plays uh, several very important roles here in Eldoret, making sure that patients with KS get the interventions they need. Um, but I think that's enough for me. So I'm gonna turn it over to the team here. Can each of you introduce yourself, uh, your name, where you're from, and then your role here at KCE? My name is Celestine Lagat. I work here in Eldoret, Moy Teaching and Referral Hospital with Kaposi Sakoma Program. I'm a research clinician. Hi, my name is Linda Chamtai. I'm a research clinician. I work in Eldoret to the Kaposi Sakoma program. My name is Emily Mulanda. I work in MTRH with Kaposi Sakoma program. I am the patient navigator. Wonderful. And so to kick off um, our conversation, I'd love to hear about your favorite aspect of what you do every day here at KCE. Who would like to start? Celestine? Yes, so my favorite part is um, now that I see Kaposi sarcoma patients like cancer patients, they, they are patients that have, have taken their time back in the community before getting access to care. So my favorite part is like they've gotten here, you go to do, I go to do a biopsy on them, they get their diagnosis and link them treatment and see most of them. Um, get successful treatment and be able to survive from Kaposi's sarcoma. Um, my favorite part is um, getting to see a smile on a patient's face, especially the relief um, that they, ha they know they, can, they have someone who can help them um, uh, get their treatment, start their treatment, stay on tre their treatment and complete their treatment and just um, um, just the, the, the happiness and, the, and, the, and when they come back and say thank you for what we have done to them, that's the favorite, my favorite part of my job. Uh, my favorite part uh, to the patient who come for MTRH to Kaposi Sarcoma program is just to make sure that the, the patient have uh, a shoulder to lean on when they're coming and uh, someone to be there for them to advocate for whatever they're coming to just holding their hand and taking them through the system and making them understand and making them have a, a second family as they come to the hospital so that they can have a lot to share and just build hope in the life of this patient that as they come in this journey that they're walking through when they have so many challenges, a lot of fear, a lot of questions uh, in their emotions, just having been there for them. That's great. Um, and I wonder too, um, it's a very challenging thing to work with such debilitating diagnoses like HIV and what Kaposi sarcoma can, can uh, how it can affect a patient. So how, um, how has that manifested in challenges? What is the most challenging part about maybe what you see every day or um, the work that you do? 
My most challenging part is when these patients come, these are patients with um from a poor socioeconomic with a poor socioeconomic background and the most challenging part is when they get to be to be may get to see a doctor and they cannot be able to pay for any part of their treatment like they cannot they cannot be able to pay for any laboratory works they cannot be able to pay for the chemotherapy or maybe they cannot even be able to pay their the NHIF or the insurance so that they can receive treatment with. So that's the most challenging part. Having seen the, these patients, they have a diagnosis, but they cannot get access to treatment due to financial constraints. Um, I think for me, um, so there are a lot of misconceptions about chemotherapy out there. And uh, even when we have, you know, uh, educated the patient about chemotherapy, when we have uh, introduced them to survivors who have gone through chemotherapy and still they prefer to you know use alternative uh, options for treatment and not chemotherapy that's available to us and you cannot you know convince them that this is the best option that they have and just allowing them to because um, you cannot force them to start treatment just allowing them to um, uh, just follow whatever decisions they have made and uh, and sometimes even watching some of them die out of not coming to start their treatment. I think that's the most challenging part. When you feel helpless, you cannot do anything about the decisions they make and when you know those decisions are not right. Uh, I would say the most challenging part is when I meet this patient who doesn't have the national ID, that he, she cannot be able to be registered in, in, in NHIF. Uh, maybe at some point a family or somebody is willing to pay for the NHIF, but still the hands are tied up. This patient has to go uh, get a national ID, which, which is, a, is a process, and then come do the enrollment to NHIF again. It is a, another process. Let's say maybe three to four months she will be waiting, so it delays treatment. And then when I meet this kind of a patient, um, we are hands tied, there's no way we can do it, and it is quite challenging just to see how someone uh, is delaying treatment because of so much logistics for him or her to get access to medical care. And so um, those who are listening um, might be very interested in doing similar things to what you guys are doing every day. And so for those who are listening who are interested in um, being a part of increasing access to care in any way, but maybe just beginning their training or maybe still in school um, and don't know where to start or what to do, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in doing this kind of work to maybe best prepare them for what they may encounter or maybe even just to encourage them? Um, what would you say to maybe younger girls who are listening? What I would say is um, make this be your, it's like all this thing about patient care, make it like patient-centered um, and put your passion all in the patient. Let the patient, if you want to do something for the patient, let it start from the patient. What would they want to be done for? And then walk the journey with them. And you, you hold the patient's hands and get to, get to put yourself onto their shoes because they go through a lot it's not only treatment that they need but sometimes they even just need 
counseling even from poor social backgrounds that they have it's so you get to put themselves yourselves in the shoes and as you take care of the patients take care of them just from their background back at home and then you're the the, the host before you come back to the family for treatment the hospital for the treatment part yeah Uh, my advice I would give to uh, uh, someone who has a vision to doing what we do, I would say it is good to be passionate about what you're doing. Uh, when you have a passion on what you're doing, you will go to an extra mile. And you always feel the same way the patient will always feel. And the ultimate goal, even as you get hold of this person's hand and walk through, give them advice and give them counseling, you would say the ultimate goal should be that you're building hope in the life of someone. So as you, 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 you desire to become, maybe in this field or something, just have that goal of bringing hope in the life of someone and bringing a smile. Um, so there's, there's, there's still a very great gap in um, access to quality healthcare, and um, there's still a need for many, many healthcare providers um, out there. And um, for those who are interested, I think one, you need to keep yourself, you know, with with, with the knowledge and the skills that you would require um, in the field out here. But then again, most of what you're going to learn. Um, the, 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 it's it's very dynamic out here so you're going to learn a lot of things on the job so the, I think the driving motivation like they have said is just passion if you love what you do or what you want to do then you're going to learn a lot from the people who are out here in the field so um, just have an open mind um, uh, pursue what you're pursuing right now but then just know that there's a lot of knowledge out here that you can learn from many healthcare providers from you know lower level people to you know high level professionals yeah so there's a great need for healthcare providers who can improve access to healthcare thank you to all of you that i think that was really inspiring i think that will be um very helpful for people as they're trying to figure out where they fit into stepping into a role increasing access so i want to thank you guys for talking with me today for sharing the amazing things you're doing here um, i'm very grateful and i know that the listeners will be grateful too so thank you very much um, for more information you can visit ampath kenya that's a m p a t h kenya.org thank you so much for sharing what incredible perspectives from each of you now, um, in any line of work, but particularly when moving the needle on access to care, I'm sure you have to encounter some challenges in what you do. Can you share some of those with us?